and worship the Lord. Ah, God, thank you for coming and saving us, Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross for us, Lord. Thank you for intervening in our lives and taking a regular, normal, broken people like us, turning us into your, your sons and daughters, Lord. You, you made us like your like family to you, Lord. You've adopted us into your kingdom and we're, we're kings and we're princes and princesses of a king, Lord. And why would you do that for us, Lord? I don't know, but I'm sure glad you did. Pray that we'll worship you today and obey your voice and just think loudly and boldly about all the great things that you have for us today. Amen. Let's begin by turning to Matthew 15 this morning. We'll read this first piece of this verse. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? Read verse 13 with me. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. As I was in this a week or so ago, I was struck by the, where have I been planted? And um, if I've been planted by the heavenly Father, do I remain there? Do I remain there in the things that I do as I, my friendships and my role as a father, as a husband. Um, stay connected to the vine. That's what that's the encouragement that we're given. So let's sing this this morning.
Greet someone in the power of the Holy Spirit this morning, depending on Him.
We're going to sing again this morning. This is a brand new song for us, so just we'll learn it together. When the sun comes up, satisfy us, for the day has passed us by. Before our hearts forget all your goodness, satisfy us with your love. There's a new one, as I mentioned before. It's right out of Psalm 90, so let's learn it together and sing it back to our God.
We should spend some time praying together. And uh, it shouldn't just be you listening to me pray. It really should be us going together, taking our hearts before the holy living God who made us and loves us. And as we'll look at today in Scripture, has done everything so that he could forgive us and so that we could forgive each other. So let's spend some time praying. Today I... I think we ought to spend time praying about what we're going to do this evening. We're going to acknowledge um, and recognize that God has moved in the heart and the life of Aaron Rodolph. And we're going to, that's called ordaining. God ordains, but we get to join with him in that process and say, this, our brother, has been called by God to do this ministry. And we join in with that. So, Let's pray for him and his family. Pray for uh, us as a church as we uh, become involved in this. All right. And then I hope you make plans to be here and join us at 5. If you're ordained, come join us at 4. And we'll get to bless him in a very special way. All right. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. Oh, we ought to be more grateful for so many things. And for so many people, Lord, you have started a new year for us. We've just celebrated the birth of your son. And we turn to you and we're asking God that you would would move in us as a congregation and as individuals that we would be so deep in our relationship with you and our relationships with each other. God, we ask that you would do a very special thing tonight as we ordain Aaron. God, would you uh, help us to understand that you're the one who brings holiness. You're the one who sets apart. You're the one who uh, calls And so, Lord, we want to respond together with our brother. Pray, Father, that you would ready our hearts, that we would come um, 
especially after you speak to us from this passage today, we would come with good hearts, forgiving hearts, knowing that we're forgiven. God, really, we want to live that way. Where you would, one day you would welcome us in and say, well done, good and faithful servant. So help us to be faithful, Lord. Help us to be faithful in our relationship with you and with each other. Lord, help us to be faithful to live and walk with you. Help us to be faithful to forgive. Help us to be faithful in our giving, Lord. And, and so in that regard, this morning we, we're going to give an offering to you. And we're trusting you to show us how to give, what to give. And, and please, Lord, help us to be obedient in using the offering the way that you instruct for your glory, that people would be saved and they would be made to be disciples. They would walk and grow in that. So, Lord, help us even in that regard as we give to you this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're going to help receive the offering, would you come now and then we'll give to the Lord.
Let's look. Last week we we looked at First Peter chapter two. Let's read verses nine and ten together as a body of believers. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As we heard this last week, um, the bottom of verse 9 talks about how we are chosen to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness. And may that be just a mark of us as a church that we're constantly proclaiming his excellencies, that we're, his praise is ever on our lips. And then to drop down to verse 10 and think about how we were once not a people. And this next song talks about how hopeless, we were desperate, we were slaves to the darkness, um, we were prisoners, and we needed bought. So let's rejoice in the cross that has turned us from not a people to the people of God.
Kids, third grade and under, can go to Super Church if they'd like to. And good morning to the rest of you. There we go. Glad you're here this morning. For those of you I haven't got to meet, I'm sorry I haven't got to meet you, but uh, my name is Mike Cooper. I'm a senior pastor, and I would love to get to meet you. So if you have any time after church and would like to meet me, please let me know. I'd like to, I'll be right down here, as a matter of fact. Take your Bibles and turn over to Matthew chapter 18 with me this morning. It's an incredible song. Love to sing that song. I mean, I love to just think about what Christ has done for us and to sing hallelujah. We should say that more often, you know. Hallelujah for the cross. Hallelujah for God's love. Hallelujah for God's sacrifice. Hallelujah for God's salvation. Just hallelujah for what God has done. It's amazing God. And we need him so much. You know, there's just some times in my life where I, it's just like, it just kind of builds up in me again and goes, you need me, right? I mean, we need him. I know we get through the day without him sometimes, many times, but, but man, there's such a, a deep need for Jesus in our lives and, and not just to kind of have something to say, I guess. I mean, sometimes I wonder what we're doing with our walk with Christ, you know, what is it about Christ and why would we want him and how's he impacting our life and is he making a difference because he's all the difference if you look to him, if you think about him, he's all the difference and he transforms us inside and transforms us outside and gives us wisdom, gives us grace. Matter of fact, some of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately is just joy and hope and what does that look like? I mean... You know, there's a lot of people who say they're Christians and, 
if you're a Christian, there should be joy and hope in your life. But at the same time, we wrestle then with the struggles of this world, right? This world's tough. I mean, there's tons of evils. It's not hard to see. Uh, People disappoint us, offend us, sin against us. That's not hard to see. So where does joy and hope come from? Well, truth be known is security, right? I mean, Jesus Christ is our security. And, and that needs to be something that we understand and apply to our life every day. If God be for us, Romans 8 tells us, who shall be against us, right? If he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? I mean, there's some amazing things in scripture that just point us to hope, to joy, to life, to love. And now I pray that we'll do that today. So Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought him. But But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii and he seized him and began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's good, Lord, to come together in your name. It's good to sing and be thankful and to remember all the incredible love and sacrifice and life that you've given for us. It's true, Lord. It's hallelujah for you. You're so good and we love you. But Lord, we need you today. We don't need to continue to walk through this world without you. We need to acknowledge you when we rise up in the morning and throughout every minute of our day. Seek your face for wisdom and guidance and protection. And we need to love you and worship you till we lay our heads down at night. May we be yours in every way. 
Now, Lord, I ask you to open our hearts to speak to us today. Speak personally to us. For the lost, I pray that they'd be saved. For the believer, I pray that we would grow. And Lord, I love you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, we talked last week about 1 Peter 2. Isaiah already mentioned it. And we talked about being the people of God. That once we were not a people, and now we are the people of God. That once we had not received mercy, and now we have. And and really, we're, that's going to be our theme verse for the year. You know, what does it mean to be the people of God? Uh, you know, he's talking about this transformation that took place once we did not have God, once we did not have a relationship with him, once we were not owned by him. But now we're the people of God united in Christ Jesus through what he's done for us. And once we had not received mercy, but now we have. And what does that look like then? And so we're going to go back and keep walking through the book of Matthew like we were doing before we stopped for Christmas for a few weeks but we're going to take time in there to talk about what that looks like then as the people of God and what a, an appropriate passage of Scripture to jump back into. I mean, forgiveness, right? Forgiveness is one of those things that we ought to be shouting about. I don't know what happens in our lives that keep us from kind of renewing the zeal, from renewing the joy. But of, of all things that we ought to be thankful for, forgiveness is just front of the line. You know, I love 1 John 1, 9 that says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from, and I love this, all unrighteousness. Isn't that crazy? Did you ever contemplate that verse? That's like a daily verse to me. I need that verse in my life because I need to know that I can have my relationship with Jesus renewed every time I confess my sins and he's faithful to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And, and I love second, or excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, you know, that Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, and that he might bring us to God in order that he might bring us to God. And, and just this, he died for sins, right? He died for sins once for all. It's been paid for us. I mean, how much better does that get? And yet sometimes, you know, we forget. We forget. We forget how sinful we really are. Maybe we haven't really contemplated how sinful we really are. I mean, we live in a world today that they attribute the brokenness around them to anything and everything but sin. There's no accountability today. There's no recognition that our sins destroy our relationship with God and destroy our relationship with others. I mean, there's just this whole thing that we want to push off the responsibility to somebody or something else other than our own sin and even how to deal with that sin, right? Matter of fact, I've never lived in a more judgmental age, not ever. We live in the most judgmental age I've ever known. I know I'm not that old, so I haven't lived that long. I got a few of you beat, but truth be known, it's this kind of crazy time. So here we come to this passage of scripture about forgiveness, and it is, in some levels, profound. It's not common. I mean, some of us, if you've read your Bibles before, you've read this, it's not an uncommon passage, but it's profound. I mean, Peter comes to Jesus and simply says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? 
up to seven times. And I, and I love that because, you know, whatever's going on, Peter's wrestling through this understanding of forgiveness because apparently somebody is pretty offensive to him. Somebody has hurt him. Somebody has offended him by what they've said. Somebody hasn't lived up to his expectations. I mean, somebody has persecuted him. I don't really know. It doesn't really say. And, and so he's wrestling through what does it look like then for me to forgive somebody. So he goes to Jesus and he says, Lord, how often does somebody have to sin against me while I still forgive them? And he says up to seven times. Well, if you think about this now, if you go back to Matthew 6, 14 and 15, Jesus had already taught about some profound things about forgiveness. He says, for if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your father will not forgive you. Now that is a truth that even runs through our passage in Matthew 18, and we'll talk about that later. But Peter has apparently been kind of mulling this over. Like, I have to forgive, or God won't forgive me, but how much, Lord? Now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty common thing to discuss today, right? We would call it setting boundaries, right? The mental health profession today tells us that we have to set boundaries so that people don't bring so much turmoil and conflict and and stress into our life that we then suffer mental health issues because of it, right? Anybody with me? It's so true today, and there's no doubt about that. So they say, set up boundaries, right? So Peter's thinking to himself, man, this person or persons in my life, they've offended me and offended me and offended me. They've hurt me and hurt me and hurt me. And I I want to forgive because the Bible says, if I don't forgive, God won't forgive me. So he comes to Jesus and goes, how how much, Lord? Up to seven times? And, And basically what he's saying is, I want to be a godly guy, but there's got to be a limit to my striving in the relationship with this sinful person, right? There's got to be a limit. You can't really expect me to continue to forgive somebody who is persistently hurting me. Isn't that right? And the number seven is the number of completion. So maybe he's saying, hey, seven times should be the maximum I'm expected to forgive somebody. And so we would, for the most part, agree with this guy as he's writing this out and asking Jesus. We would agree with him saying, Well, of course, there's got to be a stopping place where we protect ourselves from those that hurt us, right? Anybody with me? This is yes. This is no. I know we're afraid because, you know, I won't call you out by name, I promise. Well, maybe I would Steve, but anyway. I want you to think about this. Because this is, uh, this is not just important for the way we treat other people. This is important for us to, to understand what it means to walk with God. This is important for us to understand what it means to be the people of God. This is important for us to understand what it means to have peace in our own lives, whereby we experience the security of God. This is a big deal 
And Peter's asking a legitimate question. How much do I have to put up with? How much do I have to walk through? How much do I have to give? How much do I have to surrender? And listen now, how much do I have to trust God with in my life? Right? And Jesus, man, he, he says some shocking things, and this is one of them. Verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, I know some translations say up to 77 times. I know some of you pragmatic people go, is it seven times 70, 490? Is it 77? Which one is it? Please stop. <laughs> That's apparently something that's a little difficult to translate, but you know what he's saying? He's saying, I don't care how many times they sin against you, forgive them. I don't care if it's 77 or 490 or 4,900 or 4,900,000, it doesn't really matter. Forgive them. Jesus says, no matter what they do to you, forgive them. And we go, What? What about my mental? What about my self-preservation? What about me making sure that I keep all the riffraff away from me so that I have a successful life? Well, what about it? Do we not have a God who's in heaven? Is our faith not in the living one? who loves us and gave his life for us? Is our peace, is our life, is our hope dependent on our preserving our mental health or is it dependent on following the living God who has life and peace in abundance for us? I know there's some hard things that God calls us to, but, but listen as we go through this because Jesus didn't leave that statement there on its own, thankfully, he takes us to this incredible explanation through this parable. And so in verse 23, it says, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. Now that's pretty profound because many of the parables that Jesus shared are about the kingdom of heaven, but <coughs> excuse me, this one is in particular about a king and about his people. How is this king going to relate to his people in particular? How's this king going to relate to his slaves, right? That's pretty crazy. Some parallels there for sure with who we are, with our king, the Lord God Almighty. But he says, when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. <coughs> now, there's a couple of pretty... I guess shocking things even in that. The first shocking thing is not the amount of money. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the, the first shocking thing to me is that this king would have given any kind of resources to a slave. That's pretty phenomenal to me. Slaves had no rights. They couldn't expect to have their own properties and things like that. They belonged to the king. But apparently this king had been incredibly gracious to this slave. 
I mean, abundantly gracious, more gracious than we could possibly imagine. And as we look at this parable, obviously we're talking the king being the Lord God Almighty and they're talking about the slaves being those of us who know him and walk with him or just those of us who have been created by him. The truth be known is that God is this incredibly gracious God to us. Whether you're a believer here today or not, God is incredibly gracious to us. I mean, in the simple form, he created us in his image and created us so that we would know him. That's amazing. Not only that, but he's been patient with us and merciful to us and our health and our homes, our jobs, our families, the many blessings that we could list today have all been graciously given and abundantly supplied to us. I mean, this is shocking to me that somebody so undeserving would have been given this incredible grace and help from the king, though he didn't deserve any of it. But the other part that's so shocking to me is the amount that he'd been given. A talent of silver was worth 6,000 denarii. A denarius, in a very simple form, was was one day's wage. One day's wage. So 6,000 days wages in one talent. So one talent is worth about 16 to 18, 19 years worth of wages. Just one. So then if you figure 10,000 talents, you could figure out this number if you wanted to, but it would translate into today's finances as like zillions a number so large that you can't even really comprehend it. I mean, what he's saying here is, is this this slave owed a debt that he could never have possibly paid? Not ever. I know we might want to say to ourselves, well, that's unreasonable. There's no way this king ever lent this guy this kind of money. He's never been that gracious to this guy. This is a parable. This isn't about a true person. This is a story given by Jesus to show us a spiritual truth. And what Jesus is saying is this slave that he's dealing with, this king is dealing with, owes a debt that would never humanly be possible to be paid no matter what. No chance. And oh yeah, that's the debt that we owe God for our sin. Now, so he tells him, owes him 10,000 talents and he demands that he repays this and when he says he can't repay it, the king commands that he be sold, his wife be sold and his children be sold. Now the only thing worse than being a slave to the king is being sold to worse masters. You one way, your wife another way, your kids another way, your family ripped apart to pay back your debt. And this guy does the only thing he can do. He literally grovels before the king. He falls face down before the king and he just cries out, have patience with me, I'll repay you everything. Now, this guy, 
He must not be thinking because it's almost irrational for him to even ask for this type of response from the king because the king has already shown him patience beyond what patience should show, right? If you got that kind of debt, he's been helping you and helping you and helping you and helping you and helping you. You've been insensitive to him. You've been inconsiderate to him. You've not thought about the king. You've just taken and taken and taken. You've been rebellious and not repaying. I mean, gosh, come on. This guy's not been a picture of this wonderful person in relationship to this king. And now he finds himself in deep trouble. And all he says is, be patient with me. None of us would want to be patient with this guy. He doesn't deserve it at all. I mean, the time for patience was over. And give me time to repay you? You're not going to live long enough for that. There's no chance that this guy is humanly going to repay him. There's just absolutely no chance. I mean, it's, it's like the most pathetic thing to be asking for what you don't deserve to be groveling, to be crying out, to be so broken without hope that you're on your face. I've only seen that ever in my life once. I've never seen anybody grovel except one time. We were in Zambia and sitting in the office with the pastor and the heads of the orphanage that we worked with and there was a mother in there whose daughter had been taken to the orphanage because in Africa, if you don't have anything, you don't have anything. I mean, there's no welfare system. So when you have children and you're a widow and you don't have any food, your children don't eat. So in order for them to have food for their children, sometimes they'll put them in an orphanage. And it's a miserable thing for a parent to do. It's a miserable thing for the children to do, but sometimes that's what they do. Well, this mother had put her children in this orphanage and one of the daughters had been just so rebellious and so ugly and so nasty that they'd brought this mother in and said, we're going to have to kick your daughter out of our orphanage. We can't, we can't deal with her anymore. And this woman got down on her knees and crawled across the floor on her knees and fell at the feet of the director of this orphanage and wept and said, please, 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 how am I going to feed my child? How am I going to take care of her? She's going to die on the streets. It was incredibly humbling. That's what this guy's doing. He doesn't deserve it. But he doesn't have any alternative either. There's no other hope for salvation for him but to cry out for this king to be patient, this king to give him time. And the whole crux of this whole lesson, this whole, the crux of this whole parable is in verse 27. It says, And the Lord said to that slave, and the Lord of that slave, excuse me, felt compassion and released him and forgave him the dead. If there's anything more shocking than Jesus saying, not seven times, but 70 times seven, it's the king feeling compassion for a man that not in any sense deserved it and releasing him from the bondage that he should have been held in and forgiving his debt. It's incredible to me. 
I mean, it's incredible to me. It is the crux of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the acts, the actual focal point of the gospel of Jesus Christ, whereby we have this glorious king who's created us and loved us and blessed us, and yet we owe him a debt that we cannot pay. I mean, one of the things that's so troubling today is that somehow we think God is insignificant in our lives and that he's not that big a deal. Even Christians today don't treat God with the joy and the wonder and the amazement with the thanksgiving and the praise that he deserves because we somehow think that our sins are are small or insignificant or they're not that bad. I mean, I don't know where we've fallen in the trap to think that, oh, I know somebody worse than me, so my sins are just cheap and insignificant and my salvation, you know, wasn't that big a deal. Because that's ridiculous. I mean, we have sinned against the living God in extreme ways. One no, one wretched thought, one coarse word is so contrary to the holiness and the goodness and the love and the grace of our God that it offends him to the very depth of his being. And we have done it over and over and over and over. And our debt is so deep that there's not a chance we could ever come up with something that would repay him back for what he's done for us. But then there's the compassion of our king. Who made a way? Who made a way? for us to be forgiven, right? He paid the price through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He paid the price that you and I owe. Well, Jesus didn't finish there. This passage would be a lot less convicting if he had finished there. But he says in verse 28, but that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a 100 denarii And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. It's crazy to me. That slave left the presence of this king who had poured out his compassion upon him and set him free from his bondage and forgave his debt and immediately found one who owed him like three months, four months back wages. It's like... One one hundred sixty thousandths of what the other guy owed. Some crazy number like that. He goes out and finds him and he begins to choke him out. I mean, can you imagine? So upset that he begins to choke the life out of this guy saying, pay me back what you owe. And what's so crazy about this is this guy does exactly the same thing that this first slave did. He realizes he can't pay back those three or four months wages. So he falls on his face and he says, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. It's verbatim what the first slave did. And you would think that maybe this guy would snap out of it, right? Snap out of it and go, oh, oh, absolutely. I've been forgiven so much that of course, of course I'll forgive you. Why wouldn't I? 
But that's not what happens here. The Bible says in verse 30, he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. Incredible. How could we explain it? Is there any rationale in that? Is there any understanding in that? Is there any insight in that? Is there anything that explains that? Well, verse 31 says, So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. We should be deeply grieved when it comes to unforgiveness within the body of Christ. It should grieve us. That is not who we are. That is not who we are. Those of us that have been forgiven by Jesus Christ are someone new now. Right? If any man is in Christ, the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. He's a new creature. Right? I know I didn't quote that completely right. But here we are, this newness and these slaves, they see the injustice of this. His fellow slaves look and see, man, you've been forgiven this enormous debt that we can't even wrap our minds around and you won't forgive this guy this small debt. And so they go tell the king. And the king summons him. And his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. Is that not incredible? But is that not just? I mean, here we, we read these amazing things that this king has done. And we come to this place where this man that's been forgiven all this debt has then basically spit in the king's face and said, it doesn't matter what you've done for me. I'm not going to treat people the way you've treated me. And the king's like, all right, then there's only one thing left. And that's justice. Justice. Listen, now, here's, here's what's kind of a struggle in here sometimes, right? We look at this and go, does this mean that if a Christian refuses to forgive, that Christian will lose their salvation? No. What it means is that person that refuses to forgive is not a Christian. Understand it. Understand it. That's not who you are. As a follower of Jesus Christ, right, Christ is in us. We've experienced this incredible grace and forgiveness and compassion and mercy of God. And therefore, it's in there and it should be coming out of us. And while it can be hard to forgive, please know, it's hard for me to forgive sometimes. I've been hurt. I've been betrayed. Who hasn't? Who hasn't been betrayed? I mean, forgiveness is one of these things that the closer the person is to you, the harder it is to forgive them because the more personal that offense really is. And the one who has offended and has offended and continues to offend, man, they hurt more and it feels more every time they hurt you. 
So I understand that forgiveness is difficult. But understand what God is saying here. The people of God. We weren't a people, now we are a people. We did not have mercy, now we have had mercy. The people of God are going to be forgiving people. And so when you refuse to forgive those who have sinned against you, it testifies to who you are. It testifies to who Christ is in you. Actually, it testifies to the fact that he's not in you. Now, I'm not talking about struggling through forgiveness sometimes because it's a process sometimes. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Once you've been hurt, that hurt sticks around for a while. But that does not mean you can't forgive. And when we refuse to forgive, God is not tolerant. It's not. His forgiveness upon us is conditional to some degree at this place. It says, if you won't forgive, I won't forgive you. And man, he says, throw him to the torturer that he may pay back everything that he owes. So the penalty went from, I'll sell you and your wife and your children. That's bad. But to now to the torturer, to where you're going to suffer pain at unspeakable levels. Listen, if you think that hell is unreasonable, recognize that to reject the living God and who he is for your selfish desires and your sinful, rebellious ways, recognize that it is the most grave offense in God's mind. And there will be justice for those who reject him. You don't have to. I mean, that's the good news. You don't have to. You can come to the king who will show compassion on you, who will set you free from the bonds of sins, and who will forgive all the debt because Jesus Christ paid the debt already. It's already taken care of, but you've got to come through Christ. Listen, I, I read this last verse, and it is heavy. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. I mean, we all have these things in our lives. To say that I have been hurt would be an understatement like it would be for you. I've been hurt. I'm not saying that because I want you to feel sorry for me. I'm not saying that. I've been hurt. Uh, It took me a long, long time, many years to get over probably the main hurt in my life. But man, just a few years ago, a guy that, that I would have told you was as close to me as a brother, I'd invested in and prayed for and walked with, stood with and protected. He hurt me. He crushed me. I, he crushed me. I, I didn't see it coming. I don't know why I would have saw it coming. I don't even know how it happened. But he just crushed me. I cried for about three days. I'm not exaggerating. That may be embarrassing to whoever, but I couldn't help it, man. I love this guy. I love him to this day. He crushed me. And man, I, <laughs> I have this switch is how I describe it. 
I have the ability to just throw this switch and go, I'm done with you. See you later. So I, I thought about it. But the Lord was like, no, that's not what we do. You know, throw your switch. How crazy is that? I had the opportunity to cut ties with this person, and they were kind of dependent on some things that had to run through me. And they weren't kind of dependent. They were really dependent on it. And I could have just said, nope, I'm done with you all. Don't call me. Don't see me. But God wouldn't let me. And all I could do is, was just pray, Lord, let me do the right thing and let me love this guy. I reached out, did a lot of things, and it was just painful because this guy never acknowledged it, wouldn't acknowledge it. It just hurt me so deeply. But I couldn't get over this thought. I've been forgiven so much. How do I have the right to not forgive? So I just prayed and I just walked. I mean, even to the time where he had to come up to me in my office and say, I need your help. And I had to go, okay. Lord, I'll help you. And this went on for a long time. And God gave me grace and I prayed for him and God changed my heart. Praise God. But probably about three weeks ago, he actually wrote me and said, sorry, I hurt you so bad. Sorry. My response to him was, I'm sure I did the same to you. So I'm sorry too. Guys, what else do we say? How else do we respond? If you know Christ as your Savior, you have been forgiven everything. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness so that we can stand in the presence of God in the righteousness of Christ and be found acceptable to God, to be his son, to be his daughter, to be his people. That's incredible to me. What right do I have to be unforgiving? What right do I have to be self-preserving? My life is preserved in Christ and him alone. Hallelujah. And I was praying earlier as I sat here. The thing I need in my life is Christ. That's it. Because I have him, I have it all. Because we can't live our lives any other way. We can't live as if we need something else, as if we need validation, as if somehow we need satisfaction, as if somehow we need to manipulate somebody who's hurt us. We can't live our lives that way. That builds up bitterness and anger and hardens our heart and drives us away from God and makes divisions in our lives. And we put up these walls as if they're safe keepers and what they are is traps. And we are in the trap. Forgiveness sets us free to love others and to love God the way we've been loved by him. If you're a follower of Christ here this morning, is there 
anyone or anything in your life that you have just set your traps up against and it's keeping you from being free in Christ? And would you say, Lord, I forgive them because you've forgiven me. If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, then forgiveness is through Christ and he'll forgive all of it. He is the king that when you cry out, I have no other recourse. I can't pay you back. But I'm asking you to forgive me through Christ. He's the king that has compassion. He will forgive you. He'll forgive you readily. We're going to take the Lord's Supper in a minute. Max is going to come up and lead us in that. Man, this is the picture of forgiveness right here. Christ's broken body and shed blood. Let me pray. Then let's worship him and respond to him as we take this Lord's Supper today. Let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. I, Lord, am a sinner. And I'm sorry. And I am so grateful for Jesus. For stepping in and taking the punishment I deserve. So that as I come to him by faith. I can be forgiven. And I'm so thankful, Lord, you don't let us hold bitterness. That you'll do everything you can to work that bitterness and unforgiveness out of us. But I pray you'd you'd do a work in us where we would give it up willingly, freely. I pray for those that don't know Christ as Lord and Savior here today that they believe now and that you would come into their life through the Holy Spirit, make them new, dwell with them. Lord, we love you, and we give you praise for your goodness, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Pass out the elements of this communion, this Lord's Supper to you. If you um, a few weeks ago, our pastor brought First uh, John chapter 1 to us as we prepared for Christmas and just the incredible um, experience that God came as a human being. Uh, we call that incarnation. He became flesh as a little baby. And John writes about the how tangible that was and how he wanted us to know how clearly and definitely that happened. And I want to read that passage to us again um, because it definitely applies to how we look at forgiveness and it definitely applies to this communion experience that we will take. Remember, John was the one who wrote this, is the disciple that records the account of that last supper where Jesus washed the feet. He felt and touched the hands of Jesus, making his feet clean even. This is the same disciple who was at the foot of the cross watching his Savior die and seeing the real blood, seeing the torn flesh, hearing his Savior, our Savior, say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is the same John who watched as Jesus came into the room to an unbelieving disciple brother of his named Thomas who 
He said, I, I'm not going to believe it until I see him and, and watched as Jesus and heard as Jesus said, put your hand right here. Put your hands in my scars. See that it's really me. This is the same John who, who recorded the restoration of his brother disciple, Peter, who had denied him three times. Listen to what he writes about Jesus. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. John wanted us to know that it really happened. It wasn't a legend. It wasn't a made-up myth. He saw, he felt, he knew. And he says to us, this is real live and real true that Jesus died for us, that we might be forgiven. And as we've just heard from his words, that we might forgive others, might love each other with the same love he's loved us. So as we take communion, as these men bring you the elements and you pull out both cups, because you'll need both, because there's bread in the bottom one and the juice in the top one. As you contemplate, what this is about. Remember, it is real. It is real, tangible. And so as we celebrate through this symbol, it's a symbol of something that's very real. God's forgiveness for us, his love for us, his salvation that he gives us. So let's pray. And then you take these cups and these men will come back up here and together take the bread, and then we'll take the juice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving your son for us. We thank you, Father, that it was such a vivid display of the price of our sin. Such a beautiful demonstration of your love and forgiveness for us. Do this work in us today, Lord, as we Commune with you and with each other. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So
While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Aaron, would you lead us in a prayer of thanks? Thank you for breaking your body for us, Jesus. Thank you that we can stand on this and remember it and rejoice in it and worship you and fall down before you in gracious gratitude, knowing that you wanted us. You gave yourself for us. Body of Christ. We read continuing that he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out from many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Rod, would you lead us in a prayer of thanks? Father, I thank you for allowing your son to come and uh, do away with the, the blood sacrifice that we made to atone for sins, and I thank you that you sent your Son so that uh, by making him Lord of our life that we could be do, uh, eliminate the 
the, the blood sacrifice once and for all. Father, we thank you that uh, that he uh, he came and died on the cross as an example, so that we would recognize who he was and how he came about by taking away our sins. Father, this eliminated that sin for once and for all, for all past, present, and future, by making Jesus Lord of your life. It's in His name I pray. Amen. Blood of Christ. How about we all say together, Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you. Father, we do thank you. We give you our gratitude. We give you our lives. Live in us, Father. Help us to walk well with you and with each other, forgiving each other, loving each other. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.